0: Hello, and welcome back to the Game Audio Hour. This is a fortnightly podcast where we discuss all things game audio. From creative ideas to the latest techniques, project experiences, to audio secrets, here is where you'll find in-depth coverage and opinions related to game audio. This is episode 254. I'm Vincent Diamante, and I'm... A little tired because it's the new year and things are really different right now because I haven't been doing that much game audio work, uh, but I've been doing a lot of uh, baby work right now. all the, all the fine details when it comes to things like how to burp a baby in just the right way. And, you know, how much time to spend with, uh, with the baby on their tummy before they get really fussy. And, uh, I- I'm having fun, uh, learning this new world of fatherhood. So yeah. Um, That's what I've been doing for this new year. But of course, uh, I'm not the only one here. There's uh, a bunch of other guys here as well. Uh, Let's go ahead to Mike. How are you doing on this fine new year of 2024? Uh, I'm doing well.
1: Uh, I don't have any special thematic change this year. I don't have any special resolutions or um, big shakeups I guess the closest thing I had was, was changing my, my music, Mac, but that was technically last year, so I don't think I could give 2024 credit for that. So I think uh, I'm going to quote the directorial note famously given by George Lucas when he was filming the original Star Wars movie, uh, this being the thing he would tell actors as his means of feedback, which is, same thing but better. And uh, that's going to be my 2024. Mm-hmm.
0: Ooh, that, that sounds great. Same thing, but better. Uh, that's always a, a good thing to do for the new year. I'm sure you're always doing that as well, right,
2: Alex? I mean, onwards and upwards, Vince. That's what it's all about. Uh, firstly, yeah, a big congratulations to you on uh, joining the uh, the dad club. Uh, I guess I'm a. I've been in the dad club for 14 years now, so I'm. A, <laughs> I Ooh, guess I, I've been around a little bit, and uh, all of the things that you mentioned just there—it's like, oh yeah, I remember those days. Everything was so simple and easy then.
0: <laughs> Wait a minute! Simple and easy? It gets worse. No, don't tell me that right now, please.
2: <laughs> anyway, um, no, it's good to have you back with us. It's good to be here. Uh, thank you as always, and uh, yeah, New Year's resolutions. Um, I can kick off with mine I mean it's it's a little uh, you know regular listeners will know that we we sometimes f- fall off the rails and go into sort of philosophical territory of, of music and and audio production but I guess no time like the present so my new year's resolution is to be less rigid when it comes to music production specifically um Ooh. I've been sort of on a this holiday break I haven't touched any music at all. I've just been doing a lot of listening and just trying to sort of step away from it a bit and appreciate uh, uh, appreciate the work of our colleagues in Game Audio and also appreciate the wonderful wide world of music around us and um, came to the conclusion that I think I'm too much of a purist in, in every aspect of how I approach music and music production and I I, I don't know, maybe there's a world where that's uh, a positive thing, but for this year at least I, uh, I'm going to experiment with with trying to kind of shift myself into a direction which is a little bit less rigid with regard to mm. everything. Uh, I think the last episode Mike and I were talking about genre and um, that's that conversation that I had with Michael, that's, can I say a counselling session that I had with Mike, about genre, really, really got me thinking about um, rigidity and purism in music production. I, I warned you about the philosophical uh, tangent here, <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's my new year's New Year's resolution. So uh, thank you, Mike, for for uh, uh, spinning me off the rails into this unknown territory. That is, uh, uh, what's the opposite of purism in music? Impurism. Um, impurism. Okay, Ec- eclecticism. I mean, that's probably the fancier term, yeah. Yeah, I think it's basically self-trust, I think. And anybody out there listening who's had kind of like a, a musical identity crisis where you start asking yourself questions about what is my style? what do I sound like? you know uh, has probably probably dealt with these kinds of things before, but yeah, um, trusting yourself and trusting that whatever you make, it's gonna be all right and it's gonna sound like you. And you don't have to think so much about it. So that's my wow. New Year's resolution. That sounds great. I, and I don't want to belabor the point,
0: but honestly, that feels a lot like my 2023, just questioning and thinking and you know, how much trust is too much trust and all that. Mm. Um, but um, I think I have landed on a place similar to where you are right now about, oh yeah, uh, you don't have to... There was a part of me previously that was thinking that, yes, I absolutely have to believe in what I'm doing in order to do the very best that I can. But now I think I'm a little bit more what I think you were describing right there, which is trusting the process and being flexible um, and not necessarily needing to have that solid, uh, how shall I say, monolithic image of what you and your identity is so that you can grasp it and then do it. It's it's more of this larger, more nuanced process that you do.
2: Exactly. I think the best example is when you uh, is a little uh, connection back into the whole issue of being a father. But I think when you're trying to instruct or advise a child about how to hold a cup that is really, really full of water, like a drink, like if they've overfilled their cup and they're walking back to the the dining table with this cup that is ready to spill all over the floor, the more that you you sort of jump up and say, oh, be careful, watch what you're doing, don't spill it, don't spill it, the more that you sort of create that pressure and focus on not spilling, the more likely they're going to spill, right? Mm -hmm. But if you tell them, okay, head up, don't look at the cup, look at me, hold it still and just walk towards me, don't look down at it, then that they trust their body and it just happens nicely. Everything happens great, and I think uh, an analogy like that can be also drawn with with music production as well. I think the more that you are concerned about it and you worry about it and you think, oh, I, you know, if if I just just do the work, that won't be enough. I have to justify all of my decisions. I have to. I guess it's a, a kind of in a way, a kind of delusion that things need to be so much more complicated and difficult than actually they would need to be at a certain experience level. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think up to a certain experience level, then yes, of course, if you want to make professional sounding results, then of course, you need to be very conscious of your process and how you're doing things and making sure that you're mixing correctly and making sure that you, you know, you've know you got a good productive process that doesn't distract you from what you're doing, et cetera, et cetera. But after a certain point that you've got that muscle memory going, you should be able to put aside some of those rigid kind of fixtures of your own identity and your process and just trust that it'll be okay. I'll do a good job. I don't have to worry about genre. I don't have to worry about, you know, um, which compressor to use. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, I can just trust that it's going to be all right. So that's anyway. Yes, that's my uh, objective for this year.
1: I feel like both you gentlemen are using a fairly wide-angle lens on this topic, and I'm wondering if uh, either of you would care to give sort of an example of how this flexibility or this orientation, perspective is probably a better word, you know, the shift in perspective might trickle down to the level of specifics, like is there an anecdote Mm -hmm. you can share or a particular ground-level snapshot of how this manifests?
2: Absolutely. I've got one ready for, I've got plenty, but I'll just give you one. (laughs) Go for it. Yeah, this, this regular listeners of the show are going to be cringing right now because this show is going to have every one of my usual tropes, some kind of dumb philosophical (laughs) topic like this, and a mention of DAWs. Yay! Uh oh. (laughs) Oh no. Straight into 2020. See, this is this is where I'm not worried about being a purist. It's like let's let's just do what comes naturally, right, guys? Anyway, mm-hmm. um, a perfect example for you, Mike, is me and DAWs. because <laughs> I got a problem. No, I don't have a problem. It's not a problem. It's a beautiful idiosyncrasy, and I trust that everything is going to be okay. But my my idiosyncrasy is that. You know, I regularly use two DAWs. I have Renoise, which is a tracker, which I've been using for, I don't know, since 1993, 1992, anyway, a long time, and, uh, I've, and Cubase, right? So the self-conscious music producer in me thinks that I should be using Cubase because Cubase is capable of absolutely everything. It's the industry-grade tool out of the two. Renoise is a, is a bit more uh, what's the right word? Esoteric in the way that you approach my, writing music, which may steer you creatively in a certain direction just because of the way it, stuff has has to be written in it. Whereas um, uh, Cubase, you know, you hit record, you start playing there you go, there's your music, right? So that must be the proper way to do things, right? Because that's the way everything, everybody does it that way. Well, yeah, what I've found is that I've, I really am only about half as creative when I'm working in Cubase as I am when I'm working in Renoise. And a lot of the times when I start a project, this is gonna, this is quite embarrassing, actually. It's quite revealing about, mm. but I sit there thinking, which tool should I start this in? Which DAW? I really should be using Cubase because, yeah, I can just play stuff. It's probably, it's much more efficient than Renoise. I can just play, quantize, there you go, job done. Whereas I find that all the music that I write when I'm doing Cuba in stuff in Cubase becomes much more, I don't know, mediocre somehow and just less inspired. And that is simply because I think just naturally, just because I have 30 years experience using a tracker, it just comes much more fluidly and much more naturally So it's more freeing in a way. These are the kinds of questions that really are utterly, utterly pointless. (laughs) (laughs) Totally irrelevant. Because at the end of it, nobody cares what I'm using. Nobody cares if I'm using this DAW or it doesn't matter as long as the results matches and supports the emotional and artistic message of the game. Well, there you go. The job is done. So... I need to stop thinking about these kinds of stupid, silly things and just saying, well, hey, if I if I'm a tracker user at heart, then let's just embrace that and just go for it. And, and don't worry about anything. You know, if if this is what it is, that's what it is. Let's go. So that's a concrete example for you. A kind of humiliating concrete example. But there you go. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> but you're
1: you've decided to stick to your guns without guilt. Kind of,
2: yeah. And I obviously there are situations when You know, for example, if I was going to try and do something orchestral uh, and I called up Mike and Mike said he was busy, so I have to do it, probably something like Renoise may not be the best choice just because really practically um, that workflow is probably better suited to something like Cubase. But ultimately that question should not have the It should not occupy the sort of bandwidth in my head that it does because really it doesn't matter. So yeah, I guess just kind of trusting myself that, hey, if I feel like just doing it in a tracker because I feel like I'm more creative there, then just do it that way. Who cares? Nobody cares. I think it is surprising what people care about when
0: you're working on something. Like right now, I'm working on this project and because I am the sound designer, I am so utterly aware of every individual sound effect that is going on in this thing. It's like, okay, the enemies are making these sound effects. The UIs are making these sound effects. The the effects, the visual effects on screen are making these other sound effects. And my sense of how every individual sound is either hitting its mark or not is just utterly amplified and also totally out of scope when it comes to how any normal person would actually want to receive this game. Mm -hmm. They're they're not caring about all the individual things. And, um, And I know that, and actually I even know that as much as the people that I'm working with, like other directors and and leads on battle systems and and all this stuff, as much as I know that they also say that they care about every individual thing that's happening, um, that doesn't mean that I have to justify everything on that individual sound effect scale. Mm. You no, know, I don't. Okay, that visual effect sounds a little bit less analog than all these other visual effects that we've got, even though we've established that we want to have a very analog synth type of sound because we're sort of in that 70s, 80s space. Mm. Uh, Okay, do I need to justify the fact that this visual effect sounds like this? And I think past me would probably spend 30 minutes, an hour, two hours just being like, oh no, this doesn't, actually connect with all the things that we talked about in meetings or in documents or established in other sound effects. um, But instead trust me in the process of uh, creating this result that I think is on that track of making this whole thing, this whole game just sound good. Mm. Uh, Does this sound good? And I'm not going to bother with um, having to present to people, hey, here is this individual sound effect. Because, all right, the lead director says that they care about all the individual sound effects, but in fact, they really don't. Mm. So I'm not going to present it in that stark manner. Hell, oh yeah, this one sound effect doesn't sound quite right. But instead, I'm going to present it in the larger uh, space of, oh yeah, here's an example battle of how all these things that I'm currently working on fit together just mixing all these things together we've got a new enemy doing their sounds here's the here are the effects that go along with that doing their sounds and i'm going to present that to them instead and they're like okay cool yeah green check you yeah, okay let's move that card from the trello column all right we're good yeah and i'm not thinking about those individual sound effects yeah um and it's, it's so easy though for me to get bogged down in, in those things. Like it's not just sound effects. Sometimes in music, I'm doing the exact same thing where I am spending and I, and I feel like I'm not doing that now, but I can see where I would go down that slide and spend an hour on just the fact that, Oh yeah, this trumpet doesn't fit in. Right. It, yeah. It, like the, the notes are great. I, I know that it makes sense from a compositional standpoint. Um, And me fretting over the sound of this trumpet is keeping me from further progress in writing music. And I just need a, 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 okay, let me just take that problem and throw it to the side Mm. and then move on. I'm going to move on. It's perfectly fine to do that.
2: I think you really hit it on the head there when you said that the things that you care about and the things that the final consumer or player cares about, that, that, It's so different, and the things that you might think are incredibly important in the moment in production, nobody notices. And uh, I think any one of our um, wonderful listeners who has uh, participated or contributed to game design in their projects would know that, because, you know, (laughs) you'd spend like four or five weeks in hot hot discussion with your colleagues about a certain feature it has to be this way because if it's not that way players will complain about this and they won't like this aspect because you know all this thing this big discussion and then you you finally release the game and nobody notices it's like nobody cares it's everybody's looking at something else that you had you did you didn't even think would be important so you really you really never know how it's perceived by other people and so um, that's an important thing to remember in the heat of the moment when you are when you find those details being especially irritating. It's like, oh, I just have to do something about fixing that or, uh, you know, this isn't quite right. Um, in those moments, it's important to bring to mind that, well, actually, maybe nobody's going to notice. Maybe nobody's going to care. But um, I think
1: there's a – sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off.
2: I was actually going to pass it over to you, Mike, because I'm interested to hear your uh, – your opinions about all of this? Because one of the things that I love about your work is that you are, it, that listening to it, it comes across as extremely self assured, which is a wonderful contrast to your, you know, very modest, humble demeanor. It's fantastic. The, the music is very confident and self-assured, but do you ever struggle with this?
1: Uh, <clears throat> if my music sounds self-assured, it's because there's three alternative versions of every cue that I threw away. Uh, <laughs> I, I tend to obsessively overwrite, and what the client gets, or the world gets, is what I very reluctantly, and after a lot of agonizing, decided was the most promising of the possible themes and ideas that I uh, struggled with. And I think historically in particular, I've been susceptible to the uh, very same kind of misapplied perfectionism that you were describing. Side note, there are gardeners outside, so you're now going to hear a nice little um, audio sort of pink noise accompaniment to everything that I say. Um, <laughs> and of uh, side noise, and I do apologize, it may get a little gnarly while they're passing by the door to my studio, but uh, I assure you it will be fairly temporary. Um but yeah, I I understand the idea of obsessing over detail and um the the I think I said misfocused or misapplied perfectionism. And the, the concept I've been trying to reach is don't see it as compromise or giving up your sense of standards, just think of making them broader, making uh, your, your perfectionism apply to the scope of everything you're doing. You're not trying to get the best possible violent articulation for one phrase, you're trying to get the best overall cue. And you're not trying to obsess over the best revol- best best possible cue for this moment, you're trying to deliver the best possible score. So sometimes that means allocating a certain amount of time for fiddling around with details and at a certain point saying, because I'm trying to deliver the best possible score, I have to step away from this cue and stop struggling over which of these possible directions is the best and just make my best educated guess, given my perspective right now. Yeah. So I like to think of it as just redirecting and recalibrating perfectionism rather than putting it aside. I think that it yeah. helps us feel better about what we're doing.
2: Also, uh, I, I think that the, the word best is not really helpful when it comes to any kind of, of you know professional creative arts. The word best, like doing your best or making it the best that you can make it. Like I, I, I don't know. I, I tend to find that the word best is more paralyzing somehow than just making it, I don't know, kick butt, make it great. But is it going to be the best? Well, no, probably not. <laughs> probably you could have done better um, if you'd squeezed just a little harder. Maybe you could do better, uh, or maybe somebody else is going to do better. In, invariably, inevitably, somebody else is going to do better than you. So just you know, just go for it, have some fun, make it good. Uh, but I, I tend to try and, in my mind at least, I don't like to think of the word best because it feels like it, it's an impossible goal. And it, it takes some of the fun out of what we do. Because let's face it, we're making music for video games. I mean, that's that's cool. <laughs> let's not forget that.
1: <laughs> One thing I've tried to do on the technical level, that I think uh, is relevant to this discussion, is reduce my tool set and try to spend less time, forgive me, Alex, deciding which compressor I of knew a you'd large say that.
2: arsenal. I knew you'd say that.
1: <laughs> compressors and reverbs are, are two areas where I've really tried to work with a reduced palette mm. because you can spend forever um, mm. obsessing over almost imperceptible differences mm. or differences you think you hear. But when you go back and listen two months later, you realize are, are almost undiscernible. And uh, I've tried creating just one channel strip with a single set of tools that I go to and I try to work with unless I run into a limitation or problem, in which case I will allow myself to uh, drag in something else. Mm. And in a very similar spirit, you know, you can obsess over which brass library you should use for this fanfare, and I've certainly done that. Uh, my, <laughs> I've done that uh, countless times in the past. And I have tried to encourage myself to just pick a palette in terms of soundware, use it, get the best sound you can. If you run into a real deficiency, bring in some of the reserves, but don't sit with every single phrase and say, okay, that sounds pretty good with that string library, but how does it sound with that string library? How about if I combine <laughs> them? How about if I intermix the two? Should I intermix it voice one and voice three and voice two and voice four, or one and two and three? Like you can you can literally spend the rest of your life um obsessing over those details, and I've tried to step back and just focus more on the gestalt.
2: So, yeah. uh, I, th- I think there's a there's a time and place for that. You know, for like playing around with different tools and like seeing what the which reverb is sounds good, and I, I, that's probably part of really learning, thoroughly learning all of the options that you have at your disposal. Uh, I think it's probably just a healthy thing, and it's a, it's a prudent thing. To separate it, and I guess really, when it comes down to it, like when it com- when you've got deadlines and you've got you know, the pressure of people waiting for your work, uh, and the the ears are on your work, then then you know you you don't really have the time for the luxury of just sitting there trying out ten different compressors on a track to see which one sounds better. You just got to get it done. But it can also be fun just to section off some time maybe it's sort of like a warm-up in the morning, you know, rather than just like cracking right into it. If you if you just do a quick sort of a sketch, 20, 30 minutes, just slap in something and just see how it goes, that might be a fun time to actually indulge a little bit and have some fun looking at uh, um, different options. But yeah, as you said, absolutely, you're totally right. In the heat of the moment, you don't want to be distracted by any of that. So So stripping down the tool set so that you don't ever make that choice. And it's just like, right, need that. There it is. Need that. There it is. Uh, That's always going to be better. It's funny that you should mention that particular hypothetical ritual, because literally for
1: the last month or so before I sit down to work, I will take anywhere between 15 and 30 minutes and just explore the presets of the reverbs that I already have. And a uh, particularly useful way to do this is to save each preset with the plugin interface as a logic preset. So I'm literally going down each one, saving it as a logic preset, which allows it to be accessed more easily. And uh, a side effect of that is I have time to listen to each preset and sometimes take notes. You know, this one is particularly good. Uh, Oh, this one sounds great in guitar. This is wonderful for strings. And... I can do this in a little bubble that exists outside of deadlines and deliverable schedules. It's just a little laboratory. And by doing a little bit uh, each day, I don't suffer too much fatigue. And I build up a library of opinions that I can then dip into when I'm back into get things done on a particular schedule mode.
2: Vince, do you have any kind of warm-up schedule that you like to do? Like if you know you've got like a week of music writing just intense music writing and you've got a, like a deadline looming. Um, uh, do you ever do you have like any kind of routine or ritual that you like to do when you start off the day each day or when you start off the week like that like sort of like Mike describes? Mm. Ah, man, I feel like when
0: I have a pretty intense schedule, uh, if anything, I spend a lot of time listening to what it is uh, that I'm actually working on. So I think a lot of it is a reflection of the way that my day works, um, where there is all this acceleration that happens over the course of the day. And then by the end of the business day, which is... You know, if I'm sane, it might be six or seven p.m. If I'm not, then it might be one or two a.m. I'm just making stuff, and I feel like yes, I'm, I'm going. I'm going. I'm making this thing. I'm going to. I'm gonna stage it and and push it to the to the repo. I'm going to share it on Slack, but I don't really have the ears or the brain space to really reflect on it. So my warm-up is really giving myself that reflection time and thinking about that and finding space for me to continue building off what it was that I did in the previous days. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure if I really have a strong um, strong early ritual for the day. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's something I've actually been trying to figure out for a while. I thought, oh, you know, maybe I should practice some piano, get my hands warmed up physically. Uh, Maybe I should try to do some specific techniques uh, when it comes to writing uh, as a way to start the day. But uh, I think it's usually that, just giving myself the space to reflect on what it is that I've been doing because, you know, when you're really pushing yourself uh towards a particular deadline or in the middle of a particular um yeah in the middle of a particular let's go ahead and just say it, you know, if you're crunching a bit, then there's often so little time to reflect while you're in the middle of it. And if I can do that at the very beginning of my day, then that's pretty good.
1: Mm. Here's a question for both of you.
0: Uh how often in a
1: project do you literally render out a, uh, an ad hoc album of everything you've written on that project so far and just listen to it start to finish as a kind of bump up to the big picture? Uh, or do you do that during the, during the course of the project itself?
2: Good question. It depends on the project, I suppose. It depends on, on uh, in many cases, depending if it's a very sort of non-linear kind of thing. There will not really be a logical order to sort of listen to things from start to finish, and if it's all sort of loops and things like that, it's actually kind of quite hard to do that sometimes. So, I guess no, but then yes, I am always constantly referencing everything else that I've that I've uh, been doing for the project just to make sure there's there's a, a strong sense of consistency, um, not only musically but also in terms of the the, the sonic uh texture and the and the the in the the, in the mixing context as well just making sure things sound like uh everything is consistent um so i guess yeah ultimately i guess the answer is yes i do do that but it's less of a case of you know okay i'm going to bounce out everything that i've done and listen to it from start to finish just because often case you can't really do that Uh, but i am Mm -hmm. doing that in the game of course in when there's a chance to do that kind of thing while playtesting. then yes of course how about you vince I used to do that, um,
0: let's see, towards the end of these mini projects, these uh, mini sprints that would go on for either one to three months. Then I'll spend some time and actually collate all the goods together into something resembling an EP and do it for myself as well as for everyone else on the team so that they can Understand where everything is and, and the progression of of stuff musically, uh, but I would also do that at the end of the calendar year because it's a really nice way to just uh, look back at not just what I'm doing for any particular project, but what are the things that I've been doing for myself? You know, hey, uh, yes, I've been working on these projects and okay. Um, Last year was actually kind of a down year for me. It was a little mix of taking a a break, um, a sabbatical from what I've been doing at that game company for a long time, as well as in general taking a break because I was dealing with everything that was going on with my family. But in doing so, I was very... I I was constantly reminding myself of an outright lie, which is I'm not doing anything when it comes to music or sound in games at all, uh, and actually spending some time at the end of the year saying, "Oh wait, uh, far from that, I actually wrote like what 15 minutes of new music." Okay. I didn't expect that. And I didn't realize I was still working on three projects. Okay. I I guess I'm really, really bad at actually taking breaks, but whatever. Um, (laughs) It's, it's, but it's, but just reminding myself that, yeah, this is what I'm doing. This is where I am. In addition to, where the project is, in addition to where, um, the music is in the game in order to just deliver it to your team. I think it's really important to have something that I can deliver for myself to reflect on too, with, with something really massive, really important, like the end of a year. I think there's a lot of things that happen at the end of the year that you can bring together and, and reflect on and, and enjoy.
2: Do either of you ever get to the point where you are really, really bored of listening to your own music all the time? (laughs) Well,
0: I'm not, because I always feel like I'm kind of in a weird headspace with everything. Mm. And if anything, it reminds me of all the things that led up to that particular point. Um, It's always kind of exciting to revisit that little journey of, oh, there's this piece of music. And that came about because of these conversations and these people coming here and, and we talked about these things. That's great. Um, so it's, it's very rarely that I think, Oh yeah, here's a piece of music. And right. I wrote this thing. There's nothing else to it. There's always a little more to it than that. And I think it's actually really fun to revisit that when I can. Now, what about you, Mike? I think I have the opposite problem where even when I write something that's not
1: musically interesting, uh, I tend to find it fascinating, and uh, I might focus just on the craftsmanship of the of the cue rather than the artistic intent. But for me, there's uh, there's a strange, strangely persistent uh, ability to take joy in what I've done, perhaps beyond the merit of the actual work.
2: Hmm. <clears throat> What's um. Um, stretching the question out a little bit, in in what situations would you turn the music off in a game that you're playing? Like, are are there situations when you'd actually, as a player, I mean, uh, you know, it's our duty as fellow members of the game audio community, uh, it's not only our duty, but it's also a huge part of the fun of what we do is is listening to what all of our wonderful colleagues are doing in different games that we play. But um, are there times when you actually prefer to turn the music off in games that you're playing?
0: When it's, uh, when it gets boring? (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Hold on, let's see. I actually, I do have like a really quick answer, but it's probably not the most fun answer, which is um, lately I've been playing some very dumb and brain dead types of games on my phone. And rather than just keep on continuing to play those games, I've also been combining that with podcasts. Oh, <laughs> so wow. I, I'm just listening to podcasts while also going through a little bit of stuff uh, on my phone while I'm doing something else. Wow. Like, you know, holding a baby, for example. <laughs> so that that's that has been a thing that I've been doing. I, yep, podcasts as the background music uh, for my game slash other real-life experience
2: Wow shout out to anybody right now playing a game and holding a baby while listening to this
0: <laughs> I, I mean it's totally possible with the with the easier game so uh, maybe this is a little anticipatory of conspicuous consumption but vampire survivors is very easy to play on a phone uh, while while holding a baby and, and feeding them and yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know, Alex, you are a VR developer, and I just want to say, holding a baby, playing a game, I think there's some unexplored <coughs> territory there.
2: Yeah, well, this is uh, where it's its the mixed reality era, Mike, I mean, anything can happen.
1: Right, maybe you want to be holding a different kind of baby, you could uh, yeah, that's right. there put you go. a new face on your baby.
2: Um, are there any instances, uh, Mike, when you would turn the music off in a game?
1: I find I have different gameplay modes, and it really depends on the kind of game I'm playing. For a persistent game, particularly one that's not real-time, like a strategy game, something like Civilization, uh, I will often turn off the music and, as Alex said, I'll I'll listen to a podcast or I'll listen to something else uh, that might even be verbal, because the part of my brain that's engaging is uh, different, I'm going to speak really loosely, but it's kind of different from the part that's being engaged by the podcast material. Or, uh, or I might just play music that has nothing to do with the game so I can effectively multitask. With a more visceral, real-time, action game kind of experience, I often like the in-game music, and uh, I can enjoy it even if it's very rhythmic and repetitive because it, it becomes part of the adrenaline flow. It, it, it becomes part of the, the experience of the game in a very direct and visceral way. I find that I really enjoy that. And a third mode is atmospheric music for games that have an exploratory um, aspect to them or just a, an immersive aspect. Uh, I find I like a lot. Um, I can think of, uh, like, a Elden Ring. Uh, the atmospheric music in mm. that game was often kind of repetitive. Like, you'd always hear the same you know, wandering underscore one cue. But I never got sick of it. I really just liked hearing these accompaniments because they blended so well with a gameplay experience that was macabre and beautiful and environmental at the same time. It was a very unique kind of um, experience. And I really thought the music did wonderfully there. And every now and then, there's kind of a mismatch. Like, you might be playing a game that wants to be atmospheric and exploratory, but the music is very percussive and rhythmic and noticeable. And in those cases, I'll just mute the music and um, dedicate my experience to the gameplay and the atmospheric sound design. Uh, Fortunately, that doesn't happen often, but every now and then, I think, oh, this is just too busy for this kind of interaction. And Mm. I, I, I use that as a lesson to myself as to you know a cautionary tale of what kind of music not to match with a certain type of gameplay experience.
2: Mm. I try as much as possible to always consume a game the way that the uh, game audio engineers behind it would have wanted me to. <laughs> so even even in cases where it's like, "Oh, okay, this music's getting a little bit repetitive now." I will I will not turn it off because, you know, well, this is somebody decided that this would be Good so I want to appreciate that and honor that person's decision and maybe there's something for me to learn like if I'm finding the music repetitive then maybe some a little bit of introspection into asking myself well why do I find it repetitive and you know if I'm in the situation if I was writing the music for this game or this cue how would I do it so that it isn't as repetitive as I'm finding this so the fact that I'm finding it repetitive continuing to listen to it anyway is is a nice uh, um, Lesson. Uh, I don't. I don't know if either of you ever do this, but one thing that I like to do sometimes is run musical experiments with games. So the only time that I would turn the music off is if I wanted to do this. So, for example, if I wanted to take, you know, I turn off the soundtrack to this game and then go to Apple Music and put on something totally different, or you know, as an experiment, just to see. Well, what would happen if we mix this style of music or this feeling of music? with this gameplay right now that might be the one situation where i might want to turn the music off intentionally but um do i am i the only person who does that do either of you ever do that
0: in experiments can be fun uh I, i remember doing that actually much more often a decade or so back you know back when uh you know, back when all the console manufacturers went to the big DVDs and thought, Oh yeah, rip your music or download music off of your USB stick and play it alongside everything. That was more of a one of those bullet points that they had there. Um and uh I, I think I did experiment a little bit more while I was actively working on on game soundtracks where it's like, okay, here is These fighting games, for example, and I was messing around a lot with with research into what was the sound of fighting games back in the late 90s and early 2000s, and it was fun to try some really weird things there. Very much for the sake of research and development rather than my own experience as a game player, though. Mm. Uh, Yeah, I'm not sure about as a game player what I would be doing besides just yeah listening to the music in game as as intended or turning it off if they give me that option and mm-hmm. and and to be fair i very rarely turn it off uh, i really like to give game soundtracks a chance I, i'm very much of the the old john cage adage where if where it, i think the quote goes something like if the music is boring for 1 minute try it for two. And if it's still boring, then try it for four. And if it's still boring, then try it for eight. And eventually one realizes that it's, in fact, not boring at all. Uh-huh. Um, and I, there is something to that, where there is space for learning what it is, if there is more for that thing to, to give me as I continue to listen actively to the music. Um, and that's not to say that there isn't music out there that really is that banal mm. uh, where it's it's really just what you've heard in that first minute or so and there's not much more for the music to give. But for a lot of music out there, I think there is something more to give if you're really act if you're really actively listening and, and you can find something there and there's a lot of fun to be had. Uh, just really active listening. Mm.
1: I find it a little self-serving that John Cage might stand up in defense of boring music.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a fun—it's a fun thing to do. Um, not advocating uh, purism from a genre sense at all. Mike, take notes. Uh, mm. I, I uh, taking uh, heed of your your uh, excellent counseling last episode. You have um, learned well. That's right, <laughs> but. Uh, um, uh, yeah, one thing that is quite fun to do, I find, is like you know, if, you've, if you're playing a game with a, with a soundtrack that's in a certain genre, just see what happens if you put on some music, uh, you turn off the game music and you put on some music in, uh, this is obviously only possible on a PC, but if you if you put on some other music, which is something totally different just to see how it fits to see what it's like can be an interesting, fun experiment. Um, and just a sort of something to store away in your personal database of, of audio experience, which maybe one day might have a chance to come out in a project where somebody cares about genre. Um, then you'll, you'll be ready. (laughs) Yes. May, may or may not be me, but anyway, uh, (laughs) moving on. (laughs) (laughs) I really
0: liked that episode that you guys recorded without me. Um, before the new year. Um, But um, one thing that came to mind while I was, I'll go ahead and actually just sort of throw this out there, which is uh, how do you feel about the episode when it is us just starting talking versus when I'm around to edit and I will go ahead and throw that particular piece of music there, at the at the beginning and ending of the episode. <laughs> um, uh, I know this is kind of like getting into discussion of the podcast while we're ostensibly supposed to be delivering a <laughs> podcast episode. But uh, what do you think about that? Is that something that we should experiment with? Uh, for this year, like maybe we should try a different track. Maybe we should think about something in a particularly different style. Um, that that was an older piece that I had written many, many years back, never used in a game. And I thought oh, it might be fun to actually start off the podcast episode with this thing. But uh, how do you guys feel about it?
1: I, I like the idea of well, a, a in general, it was, it's sort of fun to have a little bit of music as a as a bumper. And uh I kind of like the idea of um, embarrassing ourselves by cycling through perhaps just every week a different a different cue of uh, that maybe one of us has written for a game in the past uh, it It might even stimulate discussion, I mean, who knows, but uh, it certainly would be um a couple of TV shows that do this. Uh, I think Barry might have been one of them, where at the start oh. of every episode, there was a different pop tune. I think it was Barry. Um, and that variety can uh, be part of the personality of a given episode.
2: I think that uh, the best course of action would be to actually, uh, like, I think it's a little self-indulgent for it just to be us. Let's open it up. You know, if you've got a track of music, you as in uh, dear listener, If you've got a piece of music or a cue that hasn't been used that you'd be happy for us to put on the show at the start or the end or, you know, today's excerpt comes from, Uh, then, yeah, uh, send it on through. Because I think that would be a really fun thing to do, not only for us to learn from our listeners, but I mean, hey, you know, why why should it just be us? Why not enjoy all of the wonderful work that uh, all of our colleagues who are listening are doing as well? Oh, man,
0: that's a great idea this is one of those podcasty things that we don't really do. We don't often do these sort of listener call to actions. Um, and it's like, Oh yeah, actually that is really cool. I, I, I know it's actually really neat whenever we see things like uh, little questions that actually come through via things like Spotify or on, on Twitter. Uh, it's, it's happened a few times here and there, uh, but something like this actually sounds really cool. Sorry, I stomped on you for a bit there, Mike. Oh No no worries. I think it's a, a cool idea, and we can
1: even give a few words about why we picked a particular cue and what we like about it and why we think it's cool. Um, that might be a nice little uh, expansion of the traditions of this show.
0: All right. I guess this will be part of the New Year's resolutions for Game Audio Hour. Uh, let's, let's expand on some traditions because we've been going at it for 254 episodes. (laughs) It's a little crazy that, so maybe it is time for a little bit of expansion there. So yeah,
2: I, I think that sounds very cool. Before we move on from that, Vince, if people are wanting to contact us, um, can you just run through the best ways for people to do that? If you do want to send through like a queue with, with some notes to go along with it, how would you do that?
0: Ooh, let's see. I know that since we are published primarily by Spotify, that there are some Spotify features that have sometimes been enabled for some of these episodes where people can answer questions and polls that are connected to the episode. Now, of course, not everyone uses Spotify. So besides that, I would say probably the best way would be to just Respond to us over on Game Audio Hour on Twitter, or shall I say X?
2: We don't have a catch-all email, do we? That people can send to? Uh, yeah, we do. We have the info at
0: gameaudiohour.com.
2: There you have it—an open
0: door. Well, we'll have to we'll have to publish this uh,
1: invitation so it reaches a, a wider audience.
0: Yeah, that'll definitely happen once this episode gets up. Uh, But before we can do that, we actually have to close off in the typical Game Audio Hour fashion, which means conspicuous consumption. I know it's only been a few weeks into the new year, but there's probably got to be some fun, cool things that we're actually having some fun consuming, maybe in the game space, maybe in the music space. Um, Alex, Or actually, let's go with Mike. Mike, have you been conspicuously consuming anything lately? My biggest consumer purchase uh,
1: at the end of last year was uh, MetaQuest 3, and I've been taking almost laughably gentle baby steps into the world of VR. And uh, this may amuse Alex, who is an old hand at everything VR-related, but I I still have not shaken that childlike sense of wonder of, oh my gosh, I'm standing in a fake place, and the sense of immersion and physical realization of of your imagination. Or I guess somebody else's imagination is a better description. Uh, So I've been trying the most simple Uh, low-stakes game experiences available as I gradually acclimatize myself to this new way of interacting with games. And, uh, like, I haven't even gotten to Space Folk City yet, which, of course, you two know very well, having written the score. Uh, It occupies a high place in my priority queue, but I'm like, that's too complicated for me right now. So I've been uh, having a blast playing uh, Walkabout Golf, which is a kind of a mini-golf simulator uh, that sets you in a number of exotic locations that are all visually very uh, engaging. And um, it's a perfect introductor- introductory game to uh, somebody who's not yet really developed, fully developed sea legs for VR. Uh, and uh, to show you how green I am, and Alex, this may amuse you, every time I walk up to a cliff or any kind of edge over vertical distance... I cannot make myself walk off that cliff. Like, my entire body recoils as if I were at the edge of a real cliff. Like, I just, I balk. I will not slide the joystick (laughs) forwards. And I I also tried out this feature where you can essentially jump in the air and fly, uh, not as part of gameplay, but as a way to see the environment you're in. And for a moment, just my stomach dropped. I felt like I was actually flying, and this vertigo grabbed me. And uh, it was really cool uh, because on a, an immediate level, I was thinking, "Oh, I'm I'm feeling terrified of heights." And then my meta brain said, "Isn't it cool that you're feeling this fear of heights, even though you're standing in your living room?" So that has been a blast, and it's a very simple, relaxing game. Um, and hopefully, by the end of it, I'll feel encouraged to try some things that are a little more adventurous. So that's what I've been up to. Um, how about you, Alex?
2: It's funny you say adventurous because Space Folk City is the exact opposite of everything that you describe in in terms of being extremely chill, extremely relaxed, extremely, uh, uh, you know, peaceful. There are no cliffs to step off. There are no, (laughs) you know, lasers to shoot. There are no things to dodge with your head or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, we we welcome you when you are ready, Mike. Um, As for myself... Uh, I've actually been uh, listening to uh, the Chick Corea Electric Band a lot. So mm. um, for the longest time, the Chick Corea Electric Band was never available on streaming platforms. Uh, and luckily, you know, for me, I, I have all of the original CDs uh, burnt into my Apple library, so um, so I listen to it that way. But but for, I think it was a few months ago suddenly. It was actually my son who found it on Apple Music. Say, so, hey, Daddy, it's here. You can cert- you can find it. So yeah, Chick Career Electric Band. So that's Dave Weckl on drums, John Patatucci on bass, uh, Frank Gambali or, or uh, Stuart Henderson, I think, was his name, uh, on guitar, and uh, Eric Marienthal on sax, and of course Chick Career writing the music and playing all of the keyboards. It's I just love it. It's it's so perfect, you know, for for. Everything that I love, it's got synthesizers, it's jazz fusion, it's a bit funky, it's mm-hmm. a bit rock, it's a bit jazz. Uh, and like all of Chick Corea's music, it's just so positive. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when when Chick Corea tries to write sort of sad, emotive music, it just sounds so happy and cheerful. <laughs> Everything he does mm. is just so cheerful and happy and bright and positive. Uh, and, um, yeah, the electric band of course, uh, being a little feature piece from that era of, what is it, like early 80s. You got, It's like all DX7 and emulators and and um, prophets and stuff like that and Rhodes pianos and, and Wurlitzes and uh, and things like that. So it's very... And the production is extremely crisp. Uh, Dave Weckel is a really, really crisp, precise drummer and John Patitucci's, you know, playing... Uh, it's all slap on his six-string Yamaha bass, uh, and you've got that that classic '80s saxophone from Eric Marenthal. It's just so crisp and tight. Yeah, it's, it's just a wonderful kind of era piece. So, if you're if this has intrigued you, go search for Chick Corea Electric Band, and that's electric in the European spelling. So, E L E K T R I C, I think, or is it? Let me just check. Is it E uh, L E K T R I C? Yeah electric band uh and there's mm-hmm. i think it's about four or five albums to enjoy awesome i i'm a big fan of that
0: although i've also i know for a fact i haven't heard that in such a long time mm. i i am generally a big fan of Chicoria so i should get back into that um i already mentioned before that i've been playing some vampire survivors late at night while trying to see if i can get ethan um uh, I've revealed the name of my, my son, Ethan, while I can get him to get back to sleep and let us sleep a bit. But, uh, besides that, I, I've also been experimenting with different pop music mm. to listen to, not just for me, but also to see what, uh, my newborn is actually interested in and what he vibes with. Um, And I'm really happy to share that one that seems like a really strong, strong candidate for him, as well as one of my very favorite albums, is actually a little bit of Annie Lennox. It was one of her earlier albums, Bear, Mm. uh, from 2003. So this was right before she got really big again in the US um, after doing the Lord of the Rings song. Right. Uh, But before that, she had her album Bear, which has just a bunch of extremely beautiful, extremely deep and emotional songs. Mm. It's just such... um, it, It feels like almost every song there is this... Epic and intense lament. Okay. And yet they are all like really beautiful in very different ways from track to track. They're just um, like it's, you know, some of it is just uh, like on the face of it, you know that it's going to be an incredibly intense and sad song. And some of it, it's like, oh, 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 yeah, I love this song. It's a great song. And then there's a little bit of sadness that comes in there, just because of the power of the lyrics, the power of her voice, which is, you know, Annie Lennox has an amazing, amazing voice. Yeah. So, so I'm really glad that it seems like um, Ethan's a, a pretty big fan of this particular album, and I'm a pretty big fan of revisiting this album and giving it some very intense listening time. It's it's just such a beautiful, beautiful collection there. So highly recommended.
2: That's fantastic, actually. It's a really great recommendation. I don't know much of Annie Len- Lennox's work outside, obviously, the um, uh Yeah, I don't, I don't know much of her solo work, so I'll have to check that out. Yeah,
0: I highly recommend it. Uh, she's been through a couple of different um, phases when it comes to how she expresses herself in her solo albums. But they're basically all wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and the stuff from the 2000s, like Bear um, and, um, and Songs of Mass Destruction as well. Uh, but uh, Bear, I think, is a wonderful album. So definitely check that out. Cool. All right. Well, I guess that does it. I guess we've got an episode out of the way. This was episode 254 of the Game Audio Hour. I can't believe it's been that many. Uh, If you liked what you heard, feel free to support us by subscribing to us at your podcast purveyor of choice and leaving us a review to keep us in the forefront of the algorithm. You can also also follow us on X at Game Audio Hour, where we post notices about episodes as they drop, as well as try to support some other fun and positive voices out there in the social media landscape. And of course, the easy way to do all of this without having to remember any of what I said the last minute is to go to GameAudioHour.com. So go ahead and do that while um, I need to see if <laughs> how the rest of the family is doing in terms of <laughs> mealtime. Hang in there, Vince. Hang in there.